All right. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be up here this morning. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure when I first read the book, uh, The Little Red Hen, when I, was a, uh, when I was a boy, but I read it again with our daughter Kate a couple months ago. Um, it is, uh, if, you, if you're not in the throes of reading books to two-year-olds, uh, I can kind of bring you up to speed on, on the basic premise. Uh, essentially, it is a book about a little red hen who finds some, some seeds on the ground. And when she uh, finds these seeds, she's, she has an idea that she's going to plant them. And she says, she asks her friends, she has some friends, a lazy dog, um, a sleepy cat, and a noisy duck. And she uh, asks them, who, will anybody help me plant these seeds? And they, they all say, you know, the, the dog says, not I, barks the dog, not I, uh, purrs the cat, not I, quacks the duck, uh, and then she says, well, then I will. And she goes off and she plants them by herself. And that cycle continues of her asking her friends and them being too busy or sleepy or something. And, uh, and then she does it by herself. She does that with grinding the flour into, she, she cuts the wheat, she grinds the wheat into flour, she bakes the flour into bread. And then at the end, she, uh, she says, who will help me eat the, the bread? And now they're all excited. They're all, yeah, we will, we will. And, and they all want to eat the, the bread. And uh, then she, it says, uh, the story concludes with the little red hen responding to her friends. You didn't help me with any of the work. Now you're not going to eat any of the bread. And uh, the little red hen eats the bread with her and her little chicks. And her friends don't get to be a part of that. So um, it's pretty harsh. Uh, <laughs> I... Uh, I'm not, <laughs> I don't know if it would go over, <laughs> it was uh, written in like the 30s, and uh, I think it's a little different, different day and time now, um, but I get it, you know, they, they want to highlight hard work and American determinism, um, but thankfully this morning's passage is, uh, is a little bit different, it's, um, it tells a different story, and I hope that we'll see this morning that we all stand on the shoulders of someone else, um, that, that none of us um, have done all the work. And we enter the story at a point when the, the, um, the little red hen asks, who will help me eat the bread? That's what this, this passage is about this morning. And so we will, um, it's, a, it's a, a passage that Jesus commends his disciples to lift up their eyes and see that the, the fields are white for harvest, um, to get to see the opportunities that lie bef- before them. It's a moment when Jesus reminds them that he is the one that's going to accomplish this mission, that it is his, his mission, that he's been sent from the Father to accomplish. Um, and he helps them see that, that they're not on the way to the mission, um, but they're right in the middle of it. They're, the, the mission is right now. And he reminds them that the mission that they're entering into has been going on long before they ever came on the scene. Uh, and finally, he reminds them that, that they are here to do this mission because of someone else's labor. So, um, and what Jesus, I think, has to say to his disciples is very relevant to us this morning. And so uh, we'll see that because someone else has labored in downtown Lexington, we get to reap the fruit of their labor. So uh, I have three main points this morning. Um, so it's, it's, the first one is Jesus accomplishes the mission the mission is before us, and the mission was before us. So three points. So I'll read the passage, uh, we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll dive in. So if you have your Bibles or you want to follow along the program, it's John 4, 
verse 31 through 38. Picking up in verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Let's pray. Lord, I, um, I'm thankful for this passage this morning. I'm thankful for what is done in my own heart this week um, as I've thought about it. And, and I just think it's so relevant to where we are as a church right now and where we will be in the years to come. And so, God, I, I ask that you would tune our hearts into this passage and let us hear from your word and apply it to our lives. God, I thank you that we have the confidence to stand here today on the finished work of Christ. And I thank you that you have called us to a mission and given us opportunities. Each one of us has people that you have put before us that we could leverage for the sake of the gospel, that we could love on and encourage in their faith. And Father, you, we all stand on someone else's shoulders. People that we don't know their names and some that we do. But God, we all are here because someone else took this mission seriously. And so God, would you help us to do the same? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So, um, so John 4 is a, is a, uh, a passage that, that I've, I've studied for, for, for years. It was one of the first Bible studies I ever led was on, on John 4, the, the, um, the story of the woman at the well. And uh, we didn't read the story of the woman at the well. That's verses 30, 1 through 30. And then when I was teaching this, you know, over the last few years with this, the ministry I worked for, I would always skip over this morning's passage. I would skip over this part, and then I would kind of tell the end of the story with the woman at the well. Um, but the fact that this morning's text is situated right in the middle of that story, I think it, it, makes, it has immense application uh, to, to what we, it means to understand this, this passage. So a little background. Jesus is, um, is with his disciples, and they're traveling on the way from Judea to, to Galilee. So Judea in the south and the Galilee in the north, and they're, they're, they're traveling there, and they have to, uh, on their journey, they traveled through Samaria. And we don't have time to go into a lot of detail on the relationship between Jews and Samaritans, but the, the basic premise is just that they just, these people do not get along. There's a lot of animosity. And there was, there's stories of, you know, in that period of history, that just having lots of conflict and, and frustration. And the Jews thought the Samaritans were a mixed race. They, were, they just really looked down on um, the Samaritans. 
And so the disciples thought that they were on the way to the mission, um, the way to, to, um, to Galilee to talk to the Pharisees about an issue that they had. And they didn't realize that, that Jesus had them on. This was the mission. This wasn't just a town they were passing through. This was very much a part of what Jesus was doing. And so in the first 30 verses of John 4, you have an encounter between this Samaritan woman um, and Jesus at a well. And Jesus confronts the woman about her sin calls her, and calls her to repent um, and believe that He is the Messiah. After the woman's encounter with Jesus, she goes back into the town and starts telling everyone about what has just happened between her and, and this man. And that's where we pick up our passage in verse 31 is, is she has just left to go tell um, the story of what, it, what has happened, her encounter with Jesus. And the, dis- the disciples have returned and, and Jesus has a conversation with them. So picking up in verse 31, um, this is our first point. Jesus accomplishes the mission. Verse 31, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. So, you know, meanwhile, the, the woman has gone, she's testifying, and Jesus is, has, uh, is now having this conversation with his disciples, and he has kind of a weird response in verse 32. They say, you know, they brought him some food, and they say, here, here's some food you haven't eaten, you know, you better eat. And he responds by saying, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So you can tell they're kind of perplexed. They're like, what, did somebody else bring him food? Did somebody sneak him in something that we just we didn't see? And so, but what he's talking about there in verse 33, he says, so the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything? And in uh, 34, he says, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. And what Jesus is talking about here when he talks about food, he's not talking about physical food, like things that you eat. He's talking about the effects of food, what food does to a person, how we relate to food. He's saying that for him, what is most central to all his activity is to do the will of the Father. Um, he's, that, that food is one of those things that we do. We eat it three times a day. Um, we we de- derive all of our energy and sustenance from it. We orient our days around it. Uh, sometimes, I mean, we, Emily and I orient our every Sunday night around local taco. You know, we go to local taco on the way home. And, um, it, you know, some of our greatest memories come from conversation around the dinner table. But Jesus is saying that what's most important to him is the mission that he's been sent on. That he was sent by the Father to accomplish a mission. And that mission is, is to do his work, to do the work of the Father. And his, his, the one thing that Jesus has, was sent to do, the thing that every other action revolves around, is to glorify God, to do His mission, and to save His people. And so the gospel is simple. Um, trust in Jesus. Jesus paid it all, all to Him we owe. He has completely and utterly paid our debt. And his, his words on the cross are, are just as, as clear then as it is now. It is finished. The, the work has been accomplished. And so when I think about the finished work of, of Jesus on the cross, I always think about the story of Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was uh, a missionary to, to China. And, um, and I, uh, I remember hearing about Hudson Taylor, and, uh, but, but never really knowing the guy or, or much about his life. And um, Emily and I got a chance to go on a trip to, uh, to China about four years ago. And we took nine students with us, and uh, we were there for six weeks. So it was, it was pretty cool. I had 
a camo like fishing hat on um, and other things that stuck out like hiking boots and I did we 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 had a really fun time but we stuck out like a sore thumb and um, I can remember one day sitting in in a coffee shop in Harbin China in north northeast China and thinking I need to read about this guy this Hudson Taylor guy I'm here I'm in China Um, I ought to read his biography and so I read the story of his conversion, and it's always stuck with me. Um, he said, it says that Hudson, Hudson's parents, particularly his mother, um, prayed for him his entire life. They, uh, she was always really going before the Lord on his behalf. But then one day when he was about 17 years old, he was kind of you know, rummaging through his, his dad's library, and he found this gospel track that his, his dad had. And in that track it said that something about the finished work of Christ of Jesus Christ. And he, he says, he recalls, thought, he thought to himself, if, if the work of atonement is finished, if the mighty debt of sin is paid, what is there left for me to do? At that moment, the gospel had made sense to Hudson Taylor. By the fact, the fact that he's asking this question, what else is there for, left for me to do? If it's finished, what is there left for me to do? And so he realized that Christ had paid the debt fully for his sins, that there was nothing that he could do to add to the work of Jesus. Um, our record was clear. We were square with the house. It was absolutely paid for. But what's amazing about the story of Hudson Taylor is this guy goes on to be one of the most world-renowned missionaries that, you know, we've ever seen. He deeply influenced how we think about missions. He, uh, he saved thousands of people through his, his, his ministry, souls were, were brought to the Lord in China, and that work's still going on. Um, he sent missionaries. He sent many, many missionaries overseas in different contexts. But yet at the, at the very foundational level, he understood that Jesus accomplishes the mission. Hudson Taylor doesn't accomplish the mission. It's Jesus' mission. And so by way of application for, the, for us this morning, I think we need to remember whose mission that this is, that it's Christ's mission. And so where we need to ask ourselves a question, where have I started to believe that this mission is mine to accomplish? Am I the one who needs to save my coworker? Am I the one who needs to be a perfect parent so that my child will come to know the Lord? Am I the one who can't screw up in front of my friends because they'll think I'm a hypocrite? You need to hear the words of your Savior it is finished. You need to know that the work God is doing in your coworker, in your, your child, in your friend, it's His work. It's not your work. What He's doing, He will no doubt use you in the work that He's doing in, the, in those, those folks. But we join His mission. He doesn't join our mission. And that mission is one that Jesus accomplishes. So our second point this morning, the mission is before us. In verse 35, Jesus says, Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Jesus has just sown the seed of the gospel in this woman's heart at the well. And that woman, is al- it's already bearing fruit. Immediately she goes and starts telling people about what's just happened in her life. And Jesus is telling the disciples, the mission isn't something that's going to happen at a future date. 
We're not on the way to the mission. There isn't this lag period between the, the sowing and the reaping. He's saying that the mission is now. And it's in this town, it's with, with these people. This is the mission. And so the mission is before them. He tells them to lift their eyes and see that it's harvest time. It's time to celebrate. In verse 36 and 37, it says, Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another one reaps. There's a, um, there's a sermon that I would highly recommend um, any of you all check out. It's, um, it's, by, it's called Born to Reproduce, and it's by a man named Dawson Trotman. Trotman was the, uh, one of the founders of the Navigator Ministry. Uh, the Navigators was a, was a college, is a college ministry now, but it started in the 30s on naval ships. And in that sermon that he, that he gives, it's, and it's given in the 50s, it's an old sermon. Um, but he says that he recalls meeting with 29 students who were training to be missionaries. They were thinking about going overseas. And they were, they were going through an extensive process of learning a foreign language, uh, preparing to cross the globe to carry the gospel to, to uh, people that didn't know Jesus. And so he asked these students about their devotional lives and about their effectiveness here in the U.S. And the vast majority of them admitted that their devotional lives were not what they had hoped they would be and that their ministries were largely unfruitful. And he concluded by asking them this question. He said, how do you expect that by crossing an ocean and speaking in a foreign language with people who are suspicious of you, whose way of life is unfamiliar, you will be able to do there what you have not yet done here? Um, I think many of us want to be used by God in His mission, but like the disciples, we're overlooking opportunities that are right in front of us because we're waiting on the mission that's to come in the future. And so what does this mean for us downtown? I think it means this. I think we need to lift our eyes and ask ourselves the question, where, where are you right now? There are people in your life right now who God has placed there that we need to be faithful with, that we need to be faithful to share the gospel with. We need to be faithful to love and to encourage. The disciples thought that they were on the way to the mission, but Jesus is telling them that it's right in front of them, that they're right in the middle of it. And if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you're on a mission, and that mission is today. It's not at a future, future date. The first words Jesus speaks in the Gospel of Mark, He says, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. We need to ask ourselves, what opportunities has He placed before us that we could take advantage of? What, what gifts has He given us that we could, we could use for the kingdom? Where are we right now? And where could God use, use us today? So the mission is before us. Thirdly, the mission was before us. Verse 38 says, I, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. 
the last thing Jesus tells his disciples, and the thing that stuck with me this week as I thought about this, this passage, um, is that we all stand on the shoulders of someone else. There's someone else who's gone before us that we now are the beneficiary of their faith. Um, Jesus is sending his disciples into a field in which they did not sow. They didn't water. They didn't care for it. They didn't cause it to grow. And he's sending them to reap a harvest that they didn't labor for. The disciples are getting the great privilege of reaping the benefits of someone else's labor. And isn't that what he's calling us to downtown? To reap the the benefits of someone else's labor. As I was preparing for this this sermon as a a guest preacher, um, I I was reminded of an encounter that someone else had with a a fill-in preacher. Um, And... I, uh, I did a little bit of research and, and, and found the real story because there's, there's several kind of uh, versions of this story. But the, the one that has came to me was uh, in January, on January 6th, 1850, there was a blizzard in Colchester, England, uh, which is kind of like northeastern, northeast of London, in this, this town called Colchester, England. Charles Spurgeon, then 15 years old, was on the way to an appointment when the snow got so bad that he had to duck into a church to kind of get out of the weather. And it was at that small little church that, um, that he, he came to know the Lord. There weren't very many people there because of, of the snowstorm. In fact, the, the pastor himself had been snowed in. And so they had just a lay person come up to the, to the mic to sort of give the word from, from the Bible. And, um, and Spurgeon says that he can't even remember the guy's name that all he can remember is that he thought he was a shoemaker or a tailor or something like that. And he said that the man was obliged to stick to the text for the simple reason that he had nothing else to say. <laughs> so, um, just like, I can just imagine just kind of a bumbling guy, you know, just kind of steps up there and just sort of reads the Bible over and over again. Um, and he, he, pre- he said he preached for about 10 minutes. And then Spurgeon put, as Spurgeon put it, he reached the end of his tether. <laughs> uh, I imagine you know playing that game. What's that? Where the thing goes around the tether. What's it called? Tether ball. Yeah, that's it. Um, and <laughs> you know he reaches the end after ten minutes, and he's got about nothing else to say. And he said that the preacher turned his attention to Charles and said, "Young man, you look very miserable." And he continued, "You will always be miserable in this life." And in the life to come, if you do not obey my text. But if you obey now, this moment, you will be saved. Then he shouted, young man, look to Jesus. Spurgeon recalls, there and then the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away. In that moment, I saw the sun. And I could have risen that moment and sung with the most enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Christ and the simple faith which looks alone to him. You know, that that fill-in preacher uh, in the middle of a snowstorm was faithful to preach the Bible, and he was faithful to call people to repent and believe in the gospel. And because of that, the Lord honored it. Uh, Little did he know that 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 there would be a 15-year-old that would be sitting in the balcony and would, would come, become one of the most world-renowned pastors our world's ever known. They call him the, the Prince of Preachers. 
And just seven years after this, that snowstorm, at age 22, Charles Spurgeon would be one of, quote, the greatest preachers of his day. He went on to write 150 books, preached 3,600 sermons, started two orphanages, started a school to train pastors. And honestly, we have no idea what that guy's name was. That cobbler. We don't know his name. We don't know what all he went on to do. Probably nothing. <laughs> um, but he led Charles Spurgeon to Christ. And, as, and I've read Charles Spurgeon's Mornings and Evenings. He has a devotion called Mornings and Evenings. And I've read it probably more than any book other than the Bible. And I can say personally that I stand on his shoulders. I stand on that cobbler's shoulders. But we all stand on the shoulders of someone else. Many of those folks will never know their names or even their stories. But one of the things I was told early on in the Christian life is that God saves people with other people in mind. And so whose shoulders are you standing on? We all stand on the finished work of Christ. He lays at the bottom, the foundation of all we are. We, we stand on the foundation of Christ. But we also have people who've prayed for us. We have people who have taught us the ways of the, the Lord. And we need to remember them. We need to remember what they have taught us. We need to model their faith. Hebrews 13.7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their faith and imitate their faith. We all enter into someone else's labor. Maybe you, you need to give someone that, that has, has invested in you a call and just thank them for what they've done in your life for the work that, that the Lord's done. Maybe you need to just spend some time praying for the people that you don't know by name. Um, but God knows their names and God knows their stories. And thank Him for what He's done in you. And as we think about what ministry is going to look like downtown, we must acknowledge the fact that we're not the first people to pray for downtown. We're not the first people to share the gospel with folks down here. We're entering into the labor that Christ has been doing downtown Lexington long before we ever came on the scene. We're entering into the labor of many saints who've gone before us. We stand on the shoulders of Christ. It's His ministry. This church's ministry, it's His ministry. And we stand on the shoulders of many others, many who we don't know their name. And it's harvest time. That's what this passage is telling us. So we, we get to ask ourselves two questions. The first is, we ask God these two questions. Where are you at work? Where are you working right now, God? And how can I enter into that work? How can I be a part of what you're already doing? So I've always loved the story of the little red hen. Um, I think it's because I... Uh, I like hard work and determinism, you know, uh, go getting it. I think, but I think I've always placed myself in that story as the little red hen. And what dawned on me this week was I'm not the little red hen. I'm the noisy duck. <laughs> I, uh, I'm, not, I'm not the one who's done the work. I'm the one who gets to enjoy the, the, the fruits of someone else's labor. And thankfully, God doesn't deal with me like the little red hen deals with her friends. 
The gospel, the story of the gospel doesn't end with those who worked hard sitting down at the table to feast with Christ. The gospel is that you and I have done none of the work. And yet because of what Christ has done, he says, come and eat the bread. He saves us a seat at the table and we get to eat with him. We get to experience the reward of Jesus' faithful labor in his life. The harvest has come and, and he says, come and eat. And when we experience the joy that's in that meal of eating with Christ, when we experience the joy of joining him in the mission, we can't help but lay down our lives for the sake of others who may follow after us. We can't help but notice the needs of those who need to taste this bread, who need to sit down at this meal with us. And we can't help but well up with gratitude for the saints who've gone before us. And we can't help but lift our eyes and see that the fields that God has placed us in are white for harvest. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the work that you're doing downtown Lexington. God, I thank you that Jesus is the one who has started this work and who will bring it to completion. And that He has truly accomplished this work. And I do pray that, he, that we would lift our eyes and see that the mission is before us, God. You have given each and every one of us talents and gifts that we can use to bring you and your name glory. I pray that you give us those opportunities. Help us to see them and to walk through those doors that you open up. And God, help us always to be mindful that we stand on the shoulders of someone else. We wouldn't be talking about Jesus of Nazareth from the Middle East here in North America, in Kentucky, if not for people who've gone before us who've taken this mission seriously. Would you help us to be those people for someone else? God, would you do that? Would you write that story here for TCPC downtown? I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.